0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى اله واصحابه اجمعين اما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به امين رب العالمين الحمد لله we continue tonight with the uh, fiqh of salah and we are busy with the chapter of Sifatul Salah, right, the description of the Salah. The so last week we did the first hadith in the chapter, which was a lengthy hadith, which basically gave us a general uh, overall description of the Salah. And mainly, what was the main focus of that hadith? The main issue that we discussed was Tuma'nina, <inaudible> which is a rukun of the Salah. Understand? And that Tuma'nina we said is that pause. That moment of calmness, that stillness in the salah. It has to be found in every position of the salah. Right? Without anina, your salah is invalid. The Prophet saw a man making salah. After the salah, he told, he told him, go back and pray because you have not prayed. And he said this to the man three times. Until the man said, that was the best I could do. What is it? Yani, Explain to me, teach me. You know, we are going wrong. And the Prophet explained to him about anina. Understand and we mentioned very importantly that This is something that يعني, many people make mistakes in and you if you watch people in the masajid you watch people making Sada, you will see in certain positions. There's no tumalina Often between which two positions is the most often coming up from the ruku Right, Samiya man hamida, rabbana wal Al hamd. You'll see people don't pause. There's no stillness There's no moment where they are standing completely still to say then they can move you will find that they're just going up and down it's like in the motion they are saying there's no Tuma'nina there the same with between the two sajdas right as they come up they say some people say right um which is not actually the sunnah it's actually sunnah to say once is fard, twice is a sunnah or more than that um, but in this is another position where you find people, often, they don't sit still. No, you can. That's, that's also Sunnah. To say the long, Rabi khfeirli, warhamni, wajburni, etc., right? That, that's in its place. I'm talking about the fad part. Okay, if you want to say the Sunnah, that's extra good because then you're definitely going to have Tumaknina. Because you're going to sit a little bit longer, understand? Uh, but this is the two positions where most often you find people are lacking when it comes to tumaknina and it's something of utmost importance because as we said it can invalidate your salah right طيب, we move on to the next two ahadith which or the next hadith In Nasa'in abu Dawood from the hadith of rifa'ah ibn rafi' innaha lantatimma salatu ahadikum hatta yusbighal wudu'a kama amarahu allahu ta'ala thumna yukabbir allaha ta'ala wa yahmadahu wa yuthni alayh Wafiha fa'inkana ma'ak-Quran faqra' fa'illah fa'ahmadillah wa kabbirhu wahallilhu Okay, this hadith basically adds on to last week's hadith, it was very similar to last week's hadith The hadith here says that the salah of one of you will not be completed until yusbihal wudu'a kama amarahullahu ta'ala Until the wudu' is done in the best possible manner, the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed it Which means what? That wudu we know is a shart for the salah. That you have to have wudu. Without wudu there is no salah. This is something that is known. So this hadith is emphasizing this point. Your salah will never be completed. Until you have perfected or completed your wudu. In the way that Allah instructed you to do that. Thumma Ta'ala. Then he says the takbir. He glorifies Allah. Or he says the takbir yukabbirullah right meaning you have to say allahu akbar this refers to the takbiratul ihram right and as we said also previously the takbiratul ihram is a also a rukun of the salah without the takbiratul ihram there is no salah understand your salah has not begun unless you make the takbiratul ihram right we explained the issue and the importance of the takbiratul ihram before وَيَحْمَدَهُ Then he praises Allah and he exalts Allah. Or he glorifies Allah. What does this refer to? So after the takbir you praise Allah. You glorify Allah. This refers to the du'aul istiftah which is the opening supplication. It refers to the, the opening supplication okay and we're going to speak about the opening supplication later on in the in the lesson and then he says and within this hadith or within another hadith if there's any quran that's with you then recite meaning if you have any knowledge of quran memorized anything of the quran then you have to recite After the Takbiratul Ihram, you are now in the state of Salah. After you've praised Allah, you've said the opening supplication, du'aun istiftah, which we will elaborate on later on. And then you have to recite from the Quran, right? If you know something of the Quran. Now, of course, this doesn't mention what needs to be recited, but we do know and we have mentioned the hadith before that what has to be recited is Suratul Fatiha. That has to what has to be recited is Ummul Quran, the mother of the book, or the opening chapter, Suratul Fatiha. Right? The hadith is there's no salah except with the except with Suratul Fatiha. Except with the mother of the book. Understand? So Takbid has to happen. Then we say the opening supplication. And then we come with the Um with our recitation. Which as we said has to be. Surat Al-Fatiha If we don't know Surat Al-Fatiha the hadith says wa illa which means and if you don't know if you have no knowledge of anything of the Quran fa hamdillah wa kabbirhu wa hallinhu three things fa praise Allah wa kabbirhu glorify Allah ihmadillah basically means say alhamdulillah who means say Allahu Akbar and who means say the Tahleel, which is la ilaha illallah. So a person, for example, a new Muslim does not know the Fatiha yet. What does he recite? He recites, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah. He makes general dhikr because it's, he has yet to memorize the surah yet. It's a bit tough for him. It's, he's yet to memorize what he does is he makes these zikrs basically praises Allah glorifies Allah and says the tahleel which is la ilaha illallah this is basically what um, this hadith uh, explains طيب. so even though that doesn't equal the fatiha it's still okay because يعني, this is a case of like, like a case of necessity where you are unable to so the Sharia gives you a substitute, although the substitute is not equal to the, the asl, the foundation, the thing that's being substituted, it's, it's, it's still valid. So the same like wudu, you can't take wudu, you, you do tayammum, there's no water, you do tayammum. Is tayammum the same like wudu? It's not the same thing, but it's valid in this case, the specific case, and so forth. So in this case here, it's not equal to the Fatiha, but... It's, a, it's like a necessity. It's a case, it's a specific scenario where uh, the substitute will take its place even though it's not equal to what is being substituted. And Allah knows best. Unless the scholar say, you know something of the Quran, but you don't know the Fatiha. Like maybe a person knows the three Quls. In this case, we say to him, recite the three Quls. Or recite at least what is equal to the Fatiha. So for example, the Fatiha is seven ayat. Right? Try and recite at least seven ayat. So, I mean, you could say the three calls. if you put them together, it's maybe equal to the, the whole Fatiha. So in that case, this is what you should recite. At least. Right? Over and above that, we also say, start, when you learn the Quran, start with the Fatiha. The first thing you learn is the Fatiha. The first thing you teach your child is, the Fatiha and then the quls usually the first thing the child maybe learns is أحد, which is very easy and they may hear it often and they memorize it inshallah there's no problem but as they grow older right we're not speaking about a small toddler we're speaking about a five six seven year old now is the time they have to start learning and the key to the Salah is the the Fatiha understand you can do without the three quls within the Salah but not without the Fatiha. So we start with the Fatiha, then we can go to the quls, and then we can do the short surahs and so forth. Um, uh, and then the next hadith, or part of the next hadith, وَلِي in Abu. in أَبُو دَاوُودٍ ثُمَّ أَقْرَأْ بِأُمِّي الْكِتَابِ وَبِمَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ So the, the previous hadith said, recite what you have of the Quran. If you know something of the Quran, then you have to recite it. It didn't mention what must be recited. This version says, then recite Ummul Kitab, the mother of the book, right? Thwa bi Allah, and whatever Allah wills, right? In Ibn Hibban's book, it says, Thummaqra' Yani recite the mother of the book, and then recite whatever you, whatever you please, whatever you want. Understand? So, Ummul Kitab is now clarified in one of these ahadith, at least, that, this is what must be recited first. So, after the Takbiratul Ihram, after the al Istiftah, the open supplication, what comes next? Fatihatul Kitab, or the mother of the book. This is a, a fard. This must be recited. In fact, many scholars say it's not just a fard, it's a, a rukun of the Salah. So, why is it referred to as Ummul Kitab? It's the mother of the book, it contains the foundational teachings of the book. Everything in the book goes back to generally was found in the, in the Fatiha. Generally was found in the Fatiha, without all of the details of course, right? Without all of the details of course. So for example, we find in the Fatiha what? We find the praises for Allah. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, that's praising Allah. We find in the Fatiha, thana, hamd and thana, praising and glorifying Allah exalting Allah. This is found in the Fatiha, right? (laughs) Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alamin, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahman, Maliki, al right? It's a recitation of praise and exaltation for Allah. Also, Rububiyyah, Tawheed of Rububiyyah is found in the Fatiha. Rabbil Alamin, the Lord of all that exists. That's Rububiyyah, right? Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim is what? Asma'i wa sifat. Allah's names and attributes. The entirely merciful, the especially merciful, or the most merciful, the most compassionate, either translation, these are Allah's names. Maliki Yawmiddin, is that not an attribute of Allah? The judge, or the owner, or the king, or the master of the, the last day, Yawmiddin, or the day of judgment, right? This is again attributes of Allah. Is which type of Tawheed? You alone do we worship and you alone do we ask for help. This is which category of Tawheed? Uluhiyah, Tawheed of worship. So all the categories of Tawheed is found in the Fatiha. Understand? What else? Worship in general, you alone do we worship, you alone do we ask for help, is mentioned in the Fatiha. What else is mentioned in the Fatiha? Guidance, the importance of seeking guidance from Allah alone. Seeking help from Allah alone. What else? Ibn Uthayman says, Allah speaks about the previous nations in a very general way. How so? (laughs) Firstly, before that actually, When we ask Allah for guidance, what guidance are we asking for? Which path? The path of that which you have bes- or oh, oh, the path of, of those whom you have bestowed you favor upon that's what the ayah means al ladina an'amta alayhim surat al mustaqim Yes, guide us to the right path straight path what is the straight path which straight path the path upon whom you have bestowed your favor upon what path is this what path is what does this what does that mean what's the tafsir of that Ahlasunnah? Quran in the, in Okay. What else? So Allah, the, the path of the Prophet, yes? Which I what who else? In the and, uh, um, and Tabi. In the Quran Allah says, That's the path that we are asking Allah to bestow upon us. Those are the Minan nabiyyin, the prophets. siddiqin, the righteous, the truthful, sincere ones. Right? Some may say, who was siddiq? Who is siddiq in this ummah, the truthful one? Abu Bakr. Many scholars say he is the head of the truthful ones. So he is also mentioned in the, in the ayah, in the surah. Abu Bakr, the siddiqin. shuhada, the martyrs. The true shuhada who died in the path of Allah, was salihin, and the righteous, pious people. This is the dua that you are asking Allah, when you say, sirat al and an'amta alayhin. Who are those people who, was, who received the bounty of Allah? It's the prophets, it's the siddiqeen, the righteous, the, the truthful, sincere ones, believers. It's the martyrs and it's the salihin. The head of them would be the sahaba, right? The Khulafa ul rashidin they are the head of the righteous, the head of the martyrs. Abu uh, Umar, a martyr, Uthman a martyr, Ali is a martyr, and many other Sahaba. And were they not Siddiqeen? They were definitely truthful. They were definitely righteous and saliheen, all of the Sahaba. So this is the path that you are asking Allah to direct you towards. So this is also information of who? The previous nations, the Prophets. Those who came before you, like who? The, the, the Righteous, the Sahaba, and so forth. Um, also, the next part is غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا بَعْنِينَ And not those whom incurred your anger or your wrath, nor those who have gone astray, right? The Prophet Sallallahu in a Hadith in a Tirmidhi explained who these people are. Who are those who went astray? and who are those who were have the anger of allah upon them the jews the process of this in the hadith why is this what's the difference firstly both of them are both of them and both of them are dalin they are all misguided they all have the anger of allah upon them but the jews specifically was referred to as those who have the anger upon them because of the arrogance and because they had knowledge of the torah with them but they were Too arrogant and stubborn to accept the message of the messenger. And therefore, Allah's anger was truly upon this nation. Because of their stubbornness and arrogance. The Christians on the other hand, they are also maqdoubi alayn. But not as much as the Jews. And they are but referred to as dalin. Why? Because they did not truly have knowledge. There were people who have no knowledge. Even if you look today, to this day, you look at a proper jew he has some knowledge of you know orthodox judaism look at the christians this christianity is an absolute joke if we can put it that way there's no there's nothing left in christianity even the practicing christian they don't live according to the laws of the bible even of what's left in the bible they don't live according to it alcohol food but look at the jew they have to eat they eat that which is kosher, right? They're, they're strict, they got the, their rulings, and so forth. So the Christian is a bit more jahil, you know, than the Jew. And this is why they refer to as misguided, astray, they have no knowledge, and they follow blindly with no knowledge. They follow their desires. This is a general idea of why they are referred to as maghdoob alayhim and talleen. But they are all talleen, they are all misguided, and they all have the anger of Allah upon them. Because they are all kuffar. Understand? They are all mushrikeen the way they are today. Tayyib. So, this gives us information about the previous nations as well in a general overview type of way. Understand? This is all found in the, the Fatiha. And this is why we call it the, or the process Prophet referred to at, it as Ummul Kitab, the mother of the book, because it covers everything in a general way. And everything goes back. To this. Understand? Tayyib. Um, after that, you decide whatever Allah wills or whatever you desire. And this is clear, this is understood. After you recite the Fatiha, you can read anything of the Quran. Right? Any surah from wherever in any sequence. Obviously, we don't read uh, Ayah 2, then Ayah 1. That's not what we mean. We mean you recite properly but from anywhere in the Quran and in the first raka'ah you can read in Surah Mulk and the second raka'ah you can read Surah Baqarah there's no problem with that there doesn't have to be a sequence between the the Raka'at understand and Allah knows best any questions on this so far? (coughs) the next hadith is narrated by Abu Humaydah Sa'idi radiallahu anhu he said Ra'aytu sallallahu idha ja'ala yadayhi mankibayhi Firstly this hadith again um, explains the way that the Prophet made salah and it includes various descriptions from the, the description of the Prophet's prayer in fact Ibn Wasayyamin says it's one of the most detailed hadith in terms of the description of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa prayers. Right? The way he made salah. And he said, Ibn Uthayman says, that our knowledge regarding the description of the Prophet's prayer, sallallahu alayhi wa is an amr that's daruri. It's a necessity. It's an issue that is uh, like a necessity. We have to know the way that he made salah. You understand? It's not something optional. Because as we mentioned last week, our worship has two conditions. Every act of worship has two conditions. What are they? Ya Allah, what's the two conditions for every act of worship before it can be accepted? Right? The nia, the ikhlas, sincerity must be for the sake of Allah. Pure from any shirk, tawheed. Right? Not major shirk, not minor shirk. And secondly, it must be in accordance with the sunnah of the Prophet. Right? Two conditions for every act of worship. Salah is the most important act of worship after our belief. It's the second pillar of Islam. The first thing you'll be asked about on the day of Qiyamah is about your salah. If your salah was good, the rest of your deeds will be good. Salah was not good, not in a good state, the rest of your deeds will be found wanting. And so many other ahadith about the importance of salah. In fact, the Prophet used to say, often, Pray the way that you have seen me praying. Clear instruction. So this is not something light. It's not something optional. Ibn al says it's amr daruri. It's a necessity. It's of utmost importance. Because how, is our, how do we know Salah is going to be accepted when we don't pray according to the sunnah? Or we don't make an effort to pray according to the sunnah? Or even worse than that, we know what the sunnah says, and we still pray in opposition to the sunnah. And this is what we find with some, some of the fanatical followers of madhahib. Some of the fanatical followers of madhabs. So you show them authentic hadith that says this is how the Prophet prayed. But what do they say? But the madhhab didn't say that. So they don't pray in that way. Right, this is fanaticalism. This is, this is not, this is a major issue because you are now preferring somebody else's opinion over that of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. طيب, the hadith says, that I saw the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam كبرا, when he made the takbir, when he said Allahu Akbar, Ja'ala yadayhi hadh wa Right? He raised his hands equal to his shoulders. He lifted his hands, equal in line or in line with his with his shoulders okay now the first issue here is that Ibn Husayn brings up is when we say the takbir we say Allahu Akbar this is clear but when do we say the Allahu Akbar and when do we raise out our hands you understand so either you could say Allahu Akbar and then you raise your hands or you could raise the hands and then say Allahu Akbar or at the same time as you're raising your hands you could say Allahu Akbar and you continue right all three options are correct because no specific detail has been given in the hadith all we have is when he did the takbir he raised his hands up until in line with his with his shoulders which means all three options are possible all three are possibilities which means all three are valid which means all three are are valid so you do it in a way that you feel comfortable you do it in a way you know i wouldn't say you delay the one and keep the one far from the other so you say allahu akbar then you know later on you want to raise your hands you understand They, they go together basically so generally i would say we do it more or less at the same time if the one is slightly delayed from the other there's no harm in that there's no harm in that understand so we understand what means what what is meant by in line with the shoulders What we understand what's meant by this um are you going to demonstrate do we need to demonstrate um yeah the line is like okay right that's in line with the shoulders that's fine right the second issue is do we make the palms right or the fingers in line with the shoulders which one which is the one is it our our, our palm or our the tips of our fingers which one gets in line with the with the shoulder okay that's one possibility and the other possibility is both of that is again fine both options are are fine right so either one is is good right or even the bottom of the hand. Can also work, right? Even the bottom of the hand can can also work. The bottom hand in the shoulders. Yeah. So that's going to the ears. Towards the ears, yes. Right? So that's fine. So what is not a sunnah is just to stand there for me. What's not a sunnah is to touch the ears like this. And that you can see again, you'll see people doing this. they they touch the ears or they put their hands like this or like that or none of this is what we want simple either to the shoulders or the middle of the hand to the shoulders or the bottom of the hand to the shoulders this is what we want and this is obviously your palms are facing the the qibla your palms are facing the the qibla right secondly the fingers the fingers are the fingers open or Together. Right? So some might say it shouldn't be open like this. Right? There are times where we're going to have the fingers open and spread apart, and there's times where it's going to be fairly close together. Right? So when we are raising the hands, they are fairly close together. Right? In a natural, relaxed way, but the fingers are together and not apart. And not that's apart. That's good. That's fine. Right? But if you can keep them together slightly, like that, that would be the way that we raise the hands. طيب Then the hadith says وَإِذَا رَكَعَ أَمْكَنَ يَدَيْهِ مِنْ رُكْبَتَيْهِ And when he made Rukur, When he prostrated, or should I say bowed, when he bowed down into Rukur, He grabbed his knees with his hands. Right? He grabbed his knees with his hands so again the, the point here is that you grab the knees you hold and you grasp the knees and in this case the fingers will be open your fingers will be apart and not together right then that's how you are obviously holding your knee right and that's the best way to make ruku because you are now firmly in ruku. you understand you are now firmly in ruku. if you don't do that if you just put your hands on your knees you won't be firmly record right you will not be firmly in. so you actually have to hold the knees this is the best way to do it if you if you pay if you just place the hand on the knee that is sufficient as a rukur, but it's not the best way to do it according to the sunnah hasara and then he basically he straightened or he bent his back he lowered his back in the rukur okay the hadith says that he lowered his back and he straightened it with his head right his head and his back were straight right as opposed to his back being arched as opposed to his back being arched or curved okay let's see so it has to be extremely straight Right, so the head is fairly in line with the back, that's fine, okay? Last week I showed you, or the week before that, or was it two weeks before that, how the arched back looks, right? I, I, I demonstrated that myself, where you can arch the back. That is not what we want in the ruku' we want the back to be as straight as you can, as straight as you can. And the head is in line with the the back. So the, the, the hadith also says, or another hadith in Sahih Muslim says, which means that the prophet he neither kept his head up nor did he keep it down in core, his head was not up nor was it down his head was between the two extremes that's what the hadith in sahih muslim says right so when you are in Rukur, your head is in line with your back Not raised and not, uh, uh, how can I say, drooping either. Right? This is the head now in the rukur. So the back is as straight as possible, not arched, not curved. Right? This is something that you need to learn to straighten your lower back. To keep it straight and keep the head straight as well. And then the Sheikh says, what you find people doing today, that some of them, their, their back is arched. This is, again, very often you'll find people arch their back, right? This is not from the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Sometimes you'll find people, their head is hanging, and sometimes the head is looking up, or it's kind of raised, right? This is also not from the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Even though it will count as a valid dukur, the salah is accepted in that way, but it's not the sunnah of Rasulullah. And we know the best of guidance is the guidance of Muhammad so it's upon us to learn how he did it, how he made Ruku' and all of these details, and upon us to implement it, bi-idhnillah. Ya rohamu When he comes up from the Ruku' when he raises his head, the hadith says from Ruku' Istawa, Istawa means he stood up straight. So we spoke about this last week, you come up from the Ruku' now, you are standing up dead straight not slouched over you come up from the ruku and you're standing straight <laughs> until all of the vertebrae return to the normal positions all of the vertebrae which is the your bones in your back so you got to stand up until all of your bones in your back is now straight and upright and again this shows to my nina who's a person who's going up and then down again the back hasn't straightened everything hasn't gone back to its original normal natural position this is what needs to happen understand when you come up from the rukur istawa means he stood up straight until all of the bones in his back went back to its position like a man is standing up like normal that's how he stood um in this position right what did we say is that is the is the time for tumaknina how long must you stand for tumaknina right until you recite the entire dhikr which is far to recite. is a part as far as a part of the sunnah right so rabbana lakal ham is far hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan is sunnah so at least you have to be standing dead still. Allah hamidah. You are now standing straight. Now you have to say, Rabbana Now you can move. Is that understood? Now you can. Now you can move. wada'a When he made sujud, he prostrated, he placed his hands on the floor. Wada'a yadayhi. Right? And this is of course known. Your hands have to be on the... On the floor right your hands they have to be on the on the floor ghayra muftarishin ghayra muftarishin which means that his forearms were upright and not hanging on the floor right this is known your elbows your arms right they have to be off of the ground and not on the ground understand so in the sujood, your hands are on the ground, your palms, but your, your, from your wrist upwards is where? Raised. It is raised. In fact, the, the Prophet's prayer was described that you could see the whiteness of his armpits in the Salah. Which means that when the Prophet made sujood, he spread his arms out. He spread his arms out wide in the, in the sujood. He just understood? Such that you could see his... I his armpit it became visible. You could see the whiteness of his armpit. Because this is how he spread himself out in the, in the sujood. So his arms were fairly wide apart in the sujood and not kept close to his body. Okay? bi asabia? Sorry, we skipped apart. We said, what does this mean it means that his arms were not touching his chest so number one we already explained that his arms were what raised off the ground but secondly they were not touching his chest they were far away from his body so your arms are not supposed to touch your body they have to be away from your body is this understood and this is the point where he used to open it up so much that you could see uh, his armpits and the whiteness of his, his armpits. And his fingers, or should, actually should I say his toes, right? The atrafi asabi'i the ends of his toes. So the, what do you call it? The, the tip of his toes, right? They were facing the step al They faced the qibla. The tip of the toes have to face the kibla. So what does this mean? Right? That you have to try and okay. bend your toes. Huh? You oh. say upright. No, no, like upright, like this. Right, so because it's like that, the tips are basically facing the front. You understand? So you have to try and and do that in the in the salah you have to try and you know it's actually like you're kind of pressing on your toes isn't it so so that the toes are facing the the front so the tips of the toes are facing the front uh in facing the basic the qibla understand so it's one thing the firstly firstly like we said with the ruku you get a valid ruku then you get the sunnah ruku the best way you get a valid sujud and then you get the the best way if you made sujud and your arms are off the ground but your arms are touching your body it's a valid sujud right but it's not the best way understand the best way is that it's kept away from the the body likewise with the toes or the feet the feet must be touching the ground for the sujud to be valid because the prophet said that he made sujud upon that you have to make sujud upon seven which is the forehead the hands the knees and the two feet right that's two four six seven is nose and, and four in count is one basically right that's seven okay now the feet if the toes are not facing the qibla but the feet are touching so let's say the tips of the toes are facing downwards it's just touching the ground like this right the sajda is valid understand but it's not the best way to make the Sajdah. Are you with me? So we are speaking about the valid sajda versus a perfect or more complete version of the sajda. Understood? We are trying to learn the, the more complete version as opposed to just making it in a valid way. This way you get more reward for every position in the salah. Understand? Try and make the toes face the Qibla and not just that it touches the ground. Understand? either Jana When he sat in the raka'atayn which means the first tashahhud, what we call the tahiyat, the first tashahhud. That's the proper word. Tahiyat is not a word. The proper word is the the tashahhud. It's called the tashahhud, not the tahiyat, right? When he said in the first tashahhud, or in the last tashahhud of a two rakaat prayer, like fajr, or the sunnah salahs, or two rakaat he would sit jalasa ala rijlihil yusra he would sit upon upon his left foot and this was what, this is what we call iftirash right this is what most people know how to do this you sit on your left foot wa yumna and his right foot was upright understand this is something we i i demonstrated this previously you sit on your left foot your, your right foot is upright this is understood what it is, right? In the first tashahud or the only tashahud in the two raka'at prayer, this is how the Prophet Sallallahu said. وَإِذَا جَلَسَ فِي الْرَكْعَةِ الْأَخِيرَةِ When he sat in the last raka'at, right? Meaning, in the second tashahud. So in the four raka'at or three raka'at prayer, like Dhur, Asud, Maghrib, or Isha. Three or four raka'at, right? Qadama rijlahul Yusra he pushed his left foot forward he then raised his the other foot and he sat on the on his seat basically this the on the ground understand he sat on his buttocks or on the ground okay and this i explained previously this is what we call tawarruk this is referred to as tawarruk as we sit like this in the third or the fourth raka'ah or the, should I say the second tashahud. If there's a salah that has more than one tashahud, this is when we use tawarruk. The other times is always going to be iftirash. So Fajr, we sit the, in the normal way. We don't use tawarruq. Okay? Tayyib. Um, from the benefits of this hadith, We see that the takbir is legislated and in the importance of the takbir we explain it's a rukun. Without the takbir there is no salah. Okay, and the wording has to be Allahu Akbar. Nothing else can be used to substitute that. Secondly, it is befitting or it's incumbent upon one that he raises his hands towards the shoulders. As we said either the fingertips or the hand part is in line with the in line with the shoulders. When he does the takbiratul to, to, to ihram and he does not open up the or split his fingers apart. Understand? He does not split the fingers um, apart. Okay. Right. So the hands are raised to the shoulders or to the tips of the ears. So like we see if you're putting the palms it's towards the ears more or less, with the bottom of the palm, then it becomes towards the ears. Uh, and this is no problem. Right? When do we raise the hands in the salah? When do we raise the hands in the salah? Yes. yes that's called raising the hands. Raf al-yadayn. Right? So that's point number one. Takbiratul-ihram. This is agreed upon by all ulama. When you start the salah, you have to raise the hands. Allahu Akbar. When else do we raise the hands? You come up from Ruku', right? So, Sami Allah, Hamida, you raise the hands, right? That's two. When you go down, what do you mean by going down? That's one. That we are right? So, that should be before this, the, the other point you mentioned. So point number one is takbiratul point number two is before every ruku' Before every ruku' So before you go down, you raise the hands and you say Allahu Akbar and you go down Understand? So just demonstrate today for me please Right? So Allahu Akbar, takbiratul haram. right? Hands on the cheek, j- okay? So you said the Fatiha Walad-Dhanil Ameen You said, قُلُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ كُفْوًا Allahu Akbar Now you raise the hands Raise the hands Look at your fingers are apart now Right? Now go down Okay? Subhana رَبِّيَ azim sami Allah لِمَنْ حَمِدَهِ Raise the hands again Fingers are again apart Okay? Now, that's point number three So we've got three positions in the Salah wherein We raise the hands Okay? There is a fourth time when you raise the hands in the Salah. There is a fourth time according to the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. There is a fourth time that you raise the hands in the Salah. When is it? When you come up again. When you come up again. So show me what do you mean by that. Show me. So you're going to sujur. Okay. Come up again. So from the first Raka'ah you're coming up? Right. Incorrect. The fourth time is after the first Tashahud. The first, the point number four is after the first tashahud. Okay. So when you're coming up to the third raka'ah, yes. Right? So the first raka'ah, the first raka'ah you come up, you're going straight up, right? No tashahud. Yeah. You don't raise the hands. You don't raise the hands, it's not sunnah to raise the hands. Okay? Khalid, come, sit in tahir for mm. me okay right out. okay now you make the tahiyat, you're done with the tahiyat. you are now going to go up so let's say it's maghrib salah you're going up now to the third raka as you stand up you raise the hands, so before that, you don't raise the hands. every other time you coming up you do not raise the hands only after the first tashahud only after the first tashahud do you raise the hands Every other time that you come up, you don't raise the hands. Understand? So the first raka'ah you make, you're going to go down into sujood. Right? And then you're going to come straight back up because there's no tashahud, Right? When you come up from that first raka'ah and you come all the way up, Allahu Akbar, you put your hands straight to your chest and you do not raise the hands. Understand this point? Four times you raise the hands according to the hadith. Takbiratul ihram. Before every ruku, coming up from every ruku, and then coming up from the, fir- the first tashahud. Coming all the way up from the first tashahud. These are the four times you make raf'ul yadayn, or raising the hands in every salah. <laughs> right? And they have to come up to here, so you don't raise your hands to anywhere below the chest or below the shoulders, right? This is not, this is not the way. What's the hikmah in raising the hands? Some of the ulama said that it's, a, it's part of the beautification of the salah and the completion of the salah. And, and it shows the difference between the raka'at before, you know, the different positions and so forth. You know, like in the janazah salah as well, there's no rukuw and sujood. But we say takbirs all the time, isn't it? Fatiha, Allahu Akbar. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, Allahu Akbar. Right? In the hadith mentions that you raise the hands as well to show that there's a difference between the the raka'at of the salah. Right? The same with every other salah. The raising of the hands shows that like you are going to a new position and so forth. Now, with regards to hidro fitanun and hidro when they make Four or five please. You raise the hands. You raise the hands. Right? Um some ulama said it's it's like a sign of how you are removing the the, the veil between you and Allah. You know, it's like you're normally you are uh, distance from Allah now in the salah you are connected to Allah. You know? That's a, this is just what ulama came up with. You understand? Some other ulama said the hikmah is that you are following the Prophet. What's the, the real wisdom behind it? Only Allah knows. At the end of the day, the hadith says we do it, so we do it. You understand? طيب Where do we place the hands after you have raised it? Right? Where do we place the hands after you have raised it? Now, takbiratul ihram You raise the hands, Allahu Akbar You place the hands down. First thing we do is right over the left. Right? We place the right hand over the left. So some of the right hand will be over the, the, the back of the hand and some of it will be over the, the wrist, your wrist, right? So it's basically halfway over the hand, okay? Other narrations put it on the left hand and others on the forearm, right? And again, we demonstrated this before, all three are valid, I would recommend you chop and change or if you are tired you stand when you are in the way that you are comfortable why do we say chop and change you're acting upon more of the sunnah طيب. after you place right and left we say preferred place to place it is towards the chest area towards the chest area right again difference of opinion amongst the scholars some said below the navel some said just above the navel some said on the chest right Why do we say on the chest? The most authentic hadith in this issue is on the chest. In fact, most, if not all the hadith are weak. All of the hadith are weak, that speaks about this issue. But the most authentic of them is the one that speaks about on the chest. Right? Yes, that's on the chest. Now, firstly, we don't want to go too high up. And again, you see some people, when they think chest, they put their hand here below their necks, you know and they stand in a way they stand in a way that's actually in a actually in, that, that, that's not in agreement with the sunnah so that is fine right for me that's also fine i have no issues with somebody that stands like this or like that because the issue for me is broad in scope this is the view that i follow the issue is broad in scope because none of the ahadith are authentic understand even the one who stands below his navel i will never tell him hey you have to stand with your hands up because none of the hadith are explicitly clear and authentic. Clear maybe, but not authentic. You understand? So, to be on the safe side, keep it above the navel, towards the chest area. No problem with that. As for those ulama who sit below the navel, we don't make inkar of them. We don't say to them, you are going against the sunnah, you are doing this. because we are un- These are issues where there is difference of opinion. And as we see, even the hadith is differed over in terms of the authenticity. So we don't fight over these type of issues, right? And we don't force these issues on people because it's, it's valid, you know, clear differences. There are certain issues where it's not that clear. One hadith is clearly authentic, the one is not authentic, and so forth. Tayyib. Um, again, the most authentic here is on the <coughs> chest. So that's why we say above the navel towards the chest area, but not here by the neck, not too high up, where you end up standing awkwardly. Or in an uncomfortable manner you understand you stand at least in a way that you are comfortable and this is just about i think it's just towards above the, the navel just towards the chest area and so forth right and allah Subhanahu Wa Taala knows best um, the next hadith this benefit the sheikh mentions is that it's a part of the sunnah for the musalli when he makes ruku that he grabs hold of his knees this we explained right and this is the best way to make a ruku that you hold onto your knees because then you are firmly in ruku have you seen people in ruku then they fall forward have you seen this before people in ruku and then they fall not fall over but their hands like slip men slip forward and they you know this is it happens often because they're not grabbing their knees you understand grab the knees and this won't happen okay it's a type of lazy type of ruku that you make and all of a sudden you see the person's hand slips off his knees and he kind of you know slouches towards the front if you're holding on to your knees this won't happen um, the next benefit he says is right the issue of the the back that the back must be uh straight right in line with the head this is we explained in detail as well also Um, the next benefit he mentions is coming up from the Rukur in the, in the state of Tuma'nina all the bones go back to its place this was discussed in detail right then he mentions again about coming up from the Rukur and placing the hands where back on the chest right this is the view of Ibn Uthaymin and others and as we said other ulama said not back on the chest the hands go where to your sides the hands goes to the to the sides Again, this is an issue where there is no explicit clear-cut proof. The scholars differ over these, these type of proofs. So, some scholars said, whenever you are standing, you have to, your hands have to be way, right over the left and on your, on your body, like on the chest, for example. Understand? So, this applies to before the ruku and after the ruku. As long as you are standing in salah, it has to be right hand over the left. And this is why they say, This is where they come with the evidence. Other ulama said, no, the hadith about right hand over left and standing applies to before the ruku only. Understand? It doesn't apply to coming up from the ruku. This is how they understood it. Again, these type of issues is open for difference of opinion. Somebody does it, let him do it. Somebody doesn't do it. Don't go to him and say, you must put your hands on your chest in this position. Before the ruku, it must be on the chest. Before the rukur, it must be right hand over left. There's a view of the malikis where they stand with their hands hanging by their sides. This is against the sunnah of the Prophet. This is not from the sunnah of the Prophet. In fact, this was not the view of Imam Malik himself. Right? It was not the view of Imam Malik himself. It came later on in the madhab and so forth. Again, the most important thing here is whether you put your hands on your chest or not, coming up from the rukur we are speaking about, after the rukur you should know that there is valid differences of opinion Imam Ahmad said you can choose do it or don't do it you have a choice you understand and that is a fair view in my view that is a fair opinion if you want to do it sometimes do. if you don't want to do it don't do it others said it's a sunnah to do it other ulama said it's not a sunnah to do it anyways um the next benefit the sheikh mentions is that the sunnah in the sujood al-la-taftarish uh, al-dhira'in right that the that the arms in the sujood must not be on the on the floor. In fact, another hadith, the Prophet prohibited this. That the arms are touching the floor in sujud, and he likened this to a to a dog. He likened this to a to a dog. He says that, that that's the way that the dog reclines and the dog lies down. You understand? And if you look at a dog and the dog reclines, he's on his hooves. He's on his you know his front legs. And he, he declines with that on the ground. You understand? So the, the forearms and the elbows have to be off of the ground when you are in sujood. We say it's haram to place it on the ground. It's haram to have them on the ground because the, the Prophet likened this to a dog. And this can't be something light. You understand? It's not something um, light. The next benefit he says is that it's not befitting for the one in sujood to. Have his hands or his arms against his body or against his sides. You understand? Now, as we see the Prophet had his arms wide open. Right? Such that you could see the whiteness of his armpits. Okay? So, there's two issues that I want to touch on. The first issue is the arms have to be spread open. Right? But what if you're in a soft what if you are in a soft? how wide can you put your arms you cannot put it too wide because you are going to harm the person besides you the moment you feel you are you know encroaching upon him you pull it a bit tighter even if it means you end up touching your own body the most important thing is you don't harm the person besides you you understand this point but if you are the imam or you are standing in a soft by yourself or you're making at home alone you make sure that your arms are away from your body i understand this but don't do it in such a way that the person beside you has to make salah under your arms or your elbows are knocking against him and so forth this is also not permissible right another point on this is that the prophet his thighs did not touch his his chest in the sujood His thighs did not touch his chest in the sujood. Can you demonstrate that? Can you demonstrate that one? He's sleeping. Right? His thighs didn't touch his chest, which means... Um if I am going to do, it, this is my thighs touching my chest. Can you see? Can you want to see? No this way. My thighs, I can feel it. Oh. This is touching here, right? So this is not what you want. Which means you're going to go a little bit forward and there is has to be a gap here. Between the, the thighs and you and your your abdomen, your chest your ribcage area understand that and the arms have to be away from the body right that is basically what we want from the sujood another issue on the sujood is the place that you place your hands your your hands right where does the hands go in line with you Firstly some ulamas in line with the shoulders just like the takbir just like the takbir so you place your hands where it is in line with the shoulders or in line with the the ears same like the takbir okay either in line with the the shoulders or in line with the ears and so forth Um, the back in sujood also has to be fairly straight right as straight as you can have it. Then the next issue was having the toes facing the Qibla. This we explained, right? And we said if it doesn't face the Qibla, the Sajra is valid. But the feet have to be touching the ground. If it faces the Qibla, then this is better. طيب, another issue on the feet in the sujood. Is the feet kept together in the sujood or apart in the sujood? Is the, key the feet... feet together or apart in the sujood the proof ibn thaymin uses is hadith in sahih muslim from aisha radiallahu anha where she says that she woke up and the Prophet was missing from her bed and what she did was is she placed her hand through the curtain into the masjid and she found him in sujood and she what did she touch she touched his feet Right? She put her hand on his two feet and she says that his feet were upright. So he was in sujood and his feet were upright. Understand? Like normal. But what, what happened? She touched both of his feet in one touch. What does, it mean? What does that prove? His feet were, were, were kept together in the sujood. Meaning your feet are not a wide apart when you're going to Sajdah. Your feet are touching. Like the heels, for example, are touching one another when you are in sajdah. Understand? When you are standing up, it's not together. When you are standing up, your feet is apart. But when you're in sajdah, your feet is now together. Understand? This is what he proves from the hadith. Also, um, some scholars said that this is closer to covering your aura. If your feet together. Like if you, for example, have a slightly short thobe on. When you're going to Sajdah, you, throw, you know, it rises up a bit. And this, is, this happens, if your feet together, like in haram, for example. If you're in haram and your feet's wide apart and you're in sajda, you can't be exposed. Understand? If your feet together, this is closer to covering your aura. Are you with me? And by the way, all of these rulings that we are talking about applies to male and female. There's no difference in the salah. Understand this? It applies to both. Right. Um, the next issue is the issue of the tashahud, If the Russian we said this is we explained in, in, in clearly, right? Then he says um, the next issue is that in the first tashahud, right? We recite the tahiyat, right? What we call the tahiyatulillah, right? Al-Tahiyyatul Mubarakatul Salawat These different versions of the Tahiyyat All of them are authentic and valid Okay So the first thing is you recite the Tahiyyat Until you get to which part Ashadu an la ilaha illallah Wa ashadu an muhammadan Rasulullah Wa Abdu rasuluh Different versions Now in the first Tashahud Right Do you stop there And come up Or do you also say Allahumma salli ala muhammad Okay the majority of the ulama said you stop there ashadu ala ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna muhammad rasulullah and you come up allahu akbar some ulama said that you have to say the salawat as well some said you have to say the salawat as well right and sheik bin Baz, rahimahullah. i think imam shafii said you have to say allah musalli ala muhammad but not necessarily upon the family of muhammad understand um but majority said what? You stop there and you come up. And this is proven in the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud where the Prophet ﷺ explained to them how to do the Tashahud. And when it came to this part, he didn't say that you have to add on the Salawat. So they use this as an evidence to say, you stop there and you come up. The hadith then says, after the Ashadu al la wa Ashadu ala Muhammad Rasulullah Thumma liyatakhayar minal mas'alati ma sha' Then let him choose Uh, from whatever he wants to ask for. Which means even in the first tashahud, you can make dua. So after the tashahud, the stahiyat, you can make dua and then come up, or you can come up. must be in Arabic. In the fard salah, yes, must be in Arabic. In the sunnah, you can make it in, but the sunnah, you're not gonna have more than, there's not gonna be two tashahuds in any case. Um, Tayyib, Ibn uh, al-Qayyim described the first tashahud, the Prophet was like sitting on a hot stone as if it was very quickly it was very quickly as opposed to the second tashahud which was a bit longer you understand so the first tashahud we stop at Rasulullah. either you can make dua there or you come up you understand if you said allah basali ala muhammad there's no harm in that there's no harm in that and allah knows best um right then we have the tawarruq in the last tashahud right in the second tashahud, you sit in the manner which is known as tawarruk, which is where your left foot comes underneath your right leg, you sit on the floor, and your right leg is propped up. Understand? What's the hikmah in this? In sitting differently? Number one, it differentiates between the two tashahuds. So, someone who comes in late, he can see people are sitting tawarruk, which means it's the third, it's the second tashahud and not the first. Understand? Secondly, um, the, the the second tashahud is longer, the second tashahud is longer, so by sitting in tawarruk, you are sitting on the floor, so let's so say it's a bit easier, in that way there is also um, hikmah, right, so in the two raka'at salas, do we do tawarruk, we don't do tawarruk, right, the two raka'at salas, like fajr or the sunnas, we don't sit tawarruk in the tashahud, we sit normally right you sit on your left on your left foot with your right leg propped up um all the different ways to do the Tawadruk? i think i showed two ways the last time right i think i demonstrated two ways the last time right the One is like the ups, right and the other one is like um just like you're sitting on your like so both sitting is sitting on your on your on the ground you see this we're not speaking about the first tashahudia right the second, one. the second one there are two different ways you three different ways you can do the tawarruk. the one way is the normal way where your left foot comes underneath right the right foot the right leg and the, and the right leg is upright and the part is on the ground, the on the ground. that's the normal tawarduk then you can do the same thing But instead of the right foot being upright, it can be flat. Right? So both feet are like kind of laying next to each other, facing to the side. Right? That may be easier for some. The third way is that you have the feet again both out or the right foot again laying flat. But the left foot comes between your thigh and your shin. It comes between your thigh and your... Your shin that's a bit harder for me i don't know i tried doing it again it's it's it's, it's a bit harder i think that's the second type the third type is when your, your your left leg comes between your thigh and you it's like laying on your shin like this as i'm sitting now it's actually it's laying between your legs with this here, so. so it's yes. between your thigh yeah, the bottom thigh, yes. and it's between your thigh and your shin here. You can't lift up so high. Okay, that for me is actually a harder way to do it. It's a bit kind of awkward to get into that position. The other two are a lot easier to do, and Allah knows best. Um, again, what's the best way? The best way is to chop and change, because you're doing more of the sunnah. Right, you are preserving more of the sunnah. And also it keeps you awake. You know, sit differently. It's like you understand. Okay, I'm fulfilling another sunnah. I'm sitting in a different way and so forth. Right. The last issue is that if the Imam makes taslim. So the Imam completes the salah. But you are not done with the tashahud yet. Right. Do you complete your salah or do you complete the tashahud? Okay. If you are busy with something which is fard. You have to recite the Fard finish. If you are reciting a Sunnah dhikr, then you make the Taslim and you follow the Imam. Understand? So if you're still reading the Tahiyat and he's done already, you make sure you finish it. The Salawat is also a Fard in the last Rak'ah, so try and complete the Salawat. Understand? But after the Salawat, there are other Duas. That's also from the Sunnah, which we'll get to. Like Allahumma inni alamtu uh, nafsi faghfirli that's right, a beautiful dua but let's say you are starting the dua and the imam makes taslim. right the fard is actually to follow the imam and to leave of the sunnah in that case. understand but if you are still busy with the fard you first complete it and then you complete your your salah and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best and then also um after the second time the iman created or after the first time? Um, so after the iman is completed his greeting or do you wait till he finished with the first creating? You can, can do, do it, it after the first. So when he's is done, with, when he's basically starting the second, you can do the first. Uh, but not um, in line with him? Not in line with him because you have to be after him and definitely not before him. And this is another common mistake people make. The imam is still saying "Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah." Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. The people speak in assalamu wa rahmatullah. The man is still busy saying "Assalamu alaykum," and the man's done already. He's making ذكر already. It's a common mistake. You see it very often. This is a problem because you are now, you are now preceding the imam, and this can invalidate your salah as well. This can. Nullify your salah because you cannot finish before the Imam you understand so at least the Imam must make one Because the first one is a fard right the second one according going to certain ulema is a sunnah So if he has done the fard one first and then he starts with the next one and then you start Then this is okay because you are still behind the Imam uh, Difference of opinion right so like the Hanabila, they don't do the second one But the Shafi'is, they do the second one. But it's not fault. It's a sunnah. sunnah. So if you left it out, there's no harm. But if you did it, there's also no harm. It's not an innovation, no. So I mean, if we did the Janaza here, to avoid conflict, you just do two. You know? Because it's just to avoid the. Sometimes you do one and people will be like, what's happening? Where's the second one? They get confused, you understand? And so forth. ان الله knows best wa muhammad wa wa